Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. The digital world is rapidly changing. Most Australians would have never used Zoom or a QR code just a few years ago, but most of us are pretty comfortable with that technology now. Chances are many listeners to this podcast have already have a digital-based practice and only infrequently pick up a pen or piece of paper when dealing with patients. Now, if you don't have a digital practice, then the next 30 minutes will be of interest of you as we explore the benefits and explain what to look for before making that digital jump. If you already have a digital practice, then you might also be interested to know if you are maximizing the benefits of your platform and how you can prepare for emerging digital developments. Now, our guest today is chiropractor and digital expert, Dr. Melinda Wessel. Uh, Mel is a chiropractor who has worked in occupational health for most of her career. She spent many years working as a chief health informatics officer, leading clinical research and tech teams. Mel currently has a handful of roles. She is completing her master's of research, looking at quality data in electronic health records, specifically for reuse in predicting outcomes to care. She works as a digital health consultant uh, to set up health management systems for companies and is in private practice in the Docklands in Melbourne. She's also founder of a startup that will help practitioners make better clinical decisions. She has had a number of roles with the Australian Institute of Digital Health and is currently working with an expert advisory group to help build trust in healthcare data in Australia. She also took out a joint first prize in the 2022 ACA conference for her research presentation titled Electronic Health Records, Role in Predicting Outcomes to Work-Related Musculoskeletal Disorders. Hi, Mel, and welcome to the ACA podcast. Hi, and thanks very much for having me. I've really enjoyed this podcast over the last couple of years and definitely learned a lot from all your guests. So thanks for having me. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you here. Now, I've given you uh, just a little bit of a, um, I guess, gone through your bio there, but just perhaps give a, a little bit more color and information to your background and in particular, why you became interested in digital health. Mm. Yeah, I'm definitely wasn't something that I grew up being interested in. I'm not a tech person or not into the latest gadgets, but I think it really started from even when I graduated and wondering how going into private practice, how am I going to know how much I'm helping people and how am I going to know that I'm being the best that I can be? Um, So that led me to taking on a role in more a value-based care organisation and that was Work Healthy Australia where we had a health record and there was, you know, KPIs around our outcomes to care um, and we got reports as PDFs on what our outcomes were and how we were performing. Um, That over the years led to some training roles and clinical leadership roles. Um, And, you know, over that time, as we had at that organisation, we had a lot of remote practitioners working all across Australia. So we had the challenge of how could we effectively train all these practitioners remotely to ensure that we had high quality outcomes. Um, So those the need to use digital and scalable solutions really came from that need to have quality outcomes across the company. 
And so we developed analytics based on the data from electronic health records and the practitioners and the managers would have visualizations that say things like how many visits it might take to treat low back versus elbow complaints or like visuals on if we missed out on our prognosis expectations, like what were the characteristics of these patients? Um, so even when teaching, if I was teaching dry needling, for example, we could look at the data to see what structures were being needled a lot and which ones not at all to help guide our training through the data. Hmm. Um, because, I mean, you'd know everyone has roadblocks, not just in Cairo, but in life in general. It's hard to know when we're stuck and where to go from there. So by being able to look at the data and to be able to see where practitioners might need help or where practitioners were achieving great outcomes and might be able to help out, others was really, really exciting and really exciting to see that the clinical data within that health record could help improve our outcomes. I mean, we had a really smart bunch of practitioners. So this was also about, you know, engaging practitioners in that lifelong learning or, as you say, the quest for excellence in what we do. So this interest led to going to some digital health conferences and I found out that this field that I'm working in actually has a name for itself mm. and that's health informatics. Um, so health informatics, if we haven't heard about it, that's it's really just the use of digital health information and technologies to help improve our health outcomes. So I did some qualifications in this and it's really an emerging field, but it's growing so rapidly. So if anyone out there is interested, um, there's lots of opportunities in this space. Uh, this led to some relationships at the Australian Institute of Digital Health, as you spoke about. Um, uh, they told me I was the only Cairo on the boards and committees there. Um, so if anyone or any of the listeners have ideas on challenges around digital, maybe I can, you know, help out and represent Cairo there, hopefully. Um, the real problem in musculoskeletal that I wanted to see solved is that, you know, like um, so many other professions, we're just not using our data to make clinical decisions. We've got, you know, clinical decision guidelines and, you know, prediction models out there in the research, but until we can digitize these, they're really hard to use and time consuming. Um, so we do so much great work and help so many people as chiropractors. So I'd really love to see some you know, more quality standards around our outcomes and using digital and data is kind of the way that we can solve these problems. So um, as you said, passion, sorry, go. No, I was just saying you, you, you've made a really good argument for it's, it's, it's not just about uh, digital for digital sake. It really is about driving outcomes uh, and improving results for patients. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that passion led to my research project at the moment, which you mentioned, uh, so the, looking at how we can reuse data. Um, so yeah, like many others in, that are in digital health, we just fell in it, into it through that desire, as you said, to solve traditional healthcare problems um, using digital solutions. So we've heard a, a lot about e-health records and the idea of having, you know, a single record that all practitioners might eventually get access to. Where are we as far as the, the current landscape is concerned with, with respect to digital health? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's really important to understand because I think digital health is going to affect every single chiropractor in practice. Um, so I want to share some information today, really, to help prepare people who are listening to make sure that we can make the right decisions now that are going to support us into the future as the world moves towards more digital. So just firstly, I want to share some stats with you from a couple of the large Australian health surveys on health consumers over the last few years. Great. Excellent. So we know 7% of Google searches are health related, and that's growing. 69% of over 65s use the internet to look up health information. So it's not just the younger generation anymore. No. It's all of our patients. 74% um, of health consumers are willing to access digital health coaches, such as, you know, tracking apps and um, well, mindfulness apps and things like this. 
and 77% of health consumers would like their practitioners to suggest health information websites, which is really important for us because our consumers also don't know what to trust when they're looking at health information. So they're looking to us to help with that. Mm. Um, so there are some services out there that can help us with this, such as Cairo Up, um, that are worth looking at. Uh, the last one is 83% of consumers are interested now in accessing their own health record. And we're increasingly being asked and requesting that we share our health information. And so for chiropractors, I think now's really the time that we need to start looking at what we're writing in our records um, because we are going to need to start to share these in the next few years. Mm. And it's cool to see that, you know, some countries have gone down a different path rather than my health record and they're giving patients, they've built like a patient app instead where patients control their own health record and own that. And with these, we're starting to see some studies come out and show that this is actually increasing health literacy. Um, which can trend to decrease costs in healthcare as well. So there will be more and more requests for our health information that we're collecting. Um, another one of the big global digital health reports this year, some of the concluding quotes from that to give us an understanding of where the market is, is they say that traditional healthcare providers need to adapt and change. Otherwise, patients will no longer be willing to use us if we no longer fit the model of care that they are seeking. Consumers expect practitioners to match the digital capabilities that they experience in other industries and patients expect that our clinics have digital front doors. So I urge you, even if we're, you know, 55, 60 years old and, you know, been on paper our whole careers that, you know, even just integrating a booking engine so that patients can book online um, is really what our patients want and will stop them from going and looking elsewhere. One of the most um, telling, sorry, just interrupt there. One of the most telling statistics just there, which I think is really the crux of it, is that the 69% of uh, older Australians are, are wanting digital information or direction on health websites. Because I think that's the, um, that for me seems to be the thing that's really changed, especially post COVID, is the literacy of older people when it comes to using digital technology. That doesn't seem to be, I mean, it used to be that, thank goodness, we've got children and grandchildren because they can help us, you know, program the VCR or, or work out our mobile phone. But it seems like older Australians are getting better at that all by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they, the word when you're building digital technologies now is that you build for the digital native. And so we, and the digital natives means that people who are fluent in the use of technologies um, that because within five years, most of the population is going to be a digital native. Wow. Yeah. Which is interesting, which is a good, it's a good step. Um, but yeah, definitely an issue a few years ago. Um, some of the other little things around where we're at with um, digital in Australia is you know, that little virus has, you know, done a lot of bad things, but it's actually progressed digital health translation in Australia about four to five years about where we thought we'd be. Um, we have a, a, about 100% hospital adoption of electronic health records in some areas of Australia and 80% for GPs. Allied Health still sitting at about 50%. And Cairo, even though we don't have clear stats, looks at about 70% um, using practice management software. But what this means is that when we're collecting our data in electronic health records, we're collecting digital data and real-world data. And real-world data leads to the ability to do real-world collect real-world 
research and um, create evidence. We're seeing the rate of electronic health record publications is really skyrocketing over the last couple of years. We're seeing standards and legislation around electronic health record use. The FDA even has guidelines on the use of how we use our electronic health record data in clinical trials because the pharmaceutical industry is really ramping up use, looking at real world data because they can study the effects of drugs on you know multiple comorbidities rather than that clinical um, setting. Mm. Um, so this is kind of important for chiropractic to understand because it means that already much of healthcare is already using data to make decisions about patient care and improving safety, quality and cost of care and conducting research into that effectiveness of care. Um, and Dr. Anne-Marie Boxall, who's our Chief Allied Health Officer, she put out a call to action at the start of this year for all of Allied Health to start to measure and demonstrate the value that we're providing to our patients in care. So I think about how we can do this as a profession and I really want to see, you know, our scope of practice increased rather than limited. I want to see us have the same rights in NDIS and workers' comp and private health as I'm sure everybody else does who's listening. I think data and digital is a way that we can kind of keep up with the rest of healthcare in this regard. Absolutely. Before we go too much down the uh, the chiropractic-centric part of this, I just want to explore a little bit further, the, particularly the um, the My Health record and the, what the Australian Digital health agency are doing what are their priorities what are their sort of timelines in terms of moving towards having um, this kind of um, universal access to, to, to patient records mm. absolutely so the australian digital health agency puts out a national digital health strategy um, that last one finished at the end of last year and um you know, again, these priorities are important for chiropractors to understand because, you know, as our health system becomes more integrated, we have interoperability between systems, you know, we're either going to grow or we, we need to integrate with the rest of healthcare systems. So it's a great question. Um, their, their first priority is health information availability, access when we need it, where we need it. And they are addressing this through my health record. We're still seeing a lot of challenges with information not being uploaded in hospital settings. People are going in there, practitioners are going in there and finding that there's nothing there that they need. Um, there's definitely a couple of years, unfortunately, um, allied health software is largely not able to upload into my health record at the moment. The only compliance software that we have is MediRecords and Core Plus, and most practitioners or chiropractors aren't using that at the moment. Um, the ADHA actually has no timelines for my health record coming to allied health at the moment. Right. And so for, a, I mean, obviously if we get a, um, an EPC or CDM referral from a GP, it's, uh, it comes usually with uh, that patient's record. Um, usually it's faxed through, so it's still uh, the old technology. Um if if we're wanting to see if we're dealing with patients who perhaps don't come through that and we want information about them is there a, a portal that chiropractors can go to um to, to access and find out what sort of medications they're on and all that or do we really need to do that through a gp if we want that information so well, yeah i was just saying there is the national portal that we can go to so we can view information in the my health record at the moment if we don't have that compliance software uh, and so everybody has an individual health identifier. You find that through Medicare. Uh, you, everyone has, every health practitioner has uh, an, a health practitioner identifier that you can find on your APRA registration. Um, and if you're an organisation or a business, you've got other practitioners in there, you'll need to log into that national portal, uh, which is PRODA, and, um, and sign up for a health practitioner 
identifier for your organisation. And you can find details about how to do that from the Allied Health Practitioners Association. They have really detailed information on the website on how to do this. To note, though, if you are going to view information in My Health Record, then you need for your clinic a My Health Record policy, which, again, the Allied Health Practitioner Agency does have a policy on their website that can help you do that, just to yeah. make sure that you're accessing information securely. Absolutely. And once you've uh, ticked all those boxes, does it still require consent from a patient for you to access that information? Hmm, I'm not sure on the answer of that one, actually, because I haven't actually had to do it yet. Yep. Okay, um, that would be interesting. I, I suppose there's just obviously with what happened with um, uh, Medibank uh, Private and others, you know, the, and the whole idea of security of uh, of data. Um, I'm wondering whether that's a, an easy thing or a difficult thing. I, I kind of hope it's a difficult thing to do at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Look, it's scary for many patients and practitioners, and that fear and lack of trust in our systems definitely affecting conversion to digital solutions. So just extending on for that whole thing, and, and obviously it's uh, pertinent at the moment with the, the uh, data breach uh, late last year uh, with Medibank and so forth, but um, what's the best way to secure um, or for, for digital information to be uh, secure in its transfer from practice to practice? As I said before, all the medical practitioners that I deal with send me faxes because they don't trust uh, emails. There's a one or two that um that where there's certain software that i have to log into to to get access to it um what is the best way and how is that likely to change over the next uh, few years yeah so again one of the one of the key priorities from the australian digital health agency is secure messaging which you know de-identifies and and sends messages securely as the name suggests um that there's two things that I suppose practitioners and chiropractors really need to know at the moment is that one, whilst we're not obligated yet to use secure messaging, we can legally still send faxes and emails. Um, however, the rule is that we must take all available measures to make sure that we can protect patient data. So can you put a password behind something before you send it? And if you are sending fax and emails with patient details, then making sure that you can protect yourself and that patient data as much as possible possible um, so like priving privacy policies in place data management policies and data breach procedures as part of your clinic documents and um, can really help protect you in, in in case something goes wrong and again all those that sounds like a lot of work to do but again the allied health practitioner association has templates and policies and procedure documents on their website that you can really easily adapt that is specific for your clinic the second thing that, as you mentioned then, Anthony, like if you are working with larger health groups and GP clinics um, and you are receiving referrals and communications from these practices, a lot of these practices already through their practice management software have um, integrations into that secure messaging platforms. Mm -hmm. And so what they're starting to do is put policies in place that they must only send messages securely. So if you don't have secure messaging, as you said, Anthony, you can log into a couple of them. You won't, if you don't have those, that ability, you won't be able to receive communications from these larger practice groups. So there's still a few technical issues between the secure messaging providers to iron out, but we will see these policies come in more and more in big play in the next few years. For us, Core Plus, I think is the only electronic health record or PMS service that can provide this service of secure messaging. Um, but interesting, you know, as you said, Anthony, if you do want to receive messages, HealthLink actually has a free subscription to allow you to receive messages, not send them. Mm. Um, and if you do sign up for that free subscription, it also puts you on a map of providers that are using HealthLink. 
um, of which there aren't many chiropractors on at the moment. So if you think that's an appropriate strategy for your clinic and your circumstances, that might be worthwhile looking into as well. Well, well, let's talk about the um, the main players as far as sort of practice software within chiropractic and what it is that they offer. So um, if someone is interested in making that digital shift and, you, and getting back to numbers again, I heard you say before that you thought that anecdotal evidence suggests about 70% of chiropractors uh, are digital. I would have thought that would be higher, but um, okay, so there's at least 30% of people listening to, the, to this podcast who, who may not already be doing uh, or using um, digital software. What, what are the companies that people should be thinking about? What are the, um, I guess, the applications or um, features that they need to consider when making a digital jump? It is. There is so many different programs out there and I mean, it really is quite daunting to try and understand you know, all of the features and understand even our needs of what we're going to need for our software now and in the coming years. The main software that chiropractors are using is probably Clinico in Australia. And the fastest growing besides this seem to be PraxSuite, which is the cloud version of Front Desk, and as well as Jane, which is a Canadian program, which people are really loving and moving to because of its great templates and ability to pass information to patients. The strong players in musculoskeletal outside of chiropractic is Nucle, which is really big for physiotherapists, Core Plus and Medi Records as well. But there's so many other ones out there. Mm. Um, so it's what features we should look for you know this can get really confusing as well so I'm happy to help listeners individually or again the Allied Health Practitioners Association has a whole section dedicated to this on their website with some checklists and comparison tables these are a few years old now but can really help us at a starting point if you're stuck on where to look yeah there's three big things I probably want to bring everyone's attention to to make sure that you're not going to need to change your software again and again over the next few years because I don't think there's anything more frustrating than having to change systems again and again. Mm. Um, firstly, unfortunately, the first one that, you know, I get questions about all the time um, is working with low internet connection um, just because we have lovely internet in Australia, I suppose, especially when we're looking at moving our software into the cloud so you're looking for software that works offline or that auto saves every few seconds so clinico core plus and medi records all do this some of the other solutions say that you know when i've spoken to them about this they say yeah you're probably going to lose some work if the internet drops out um, i'd also probably like to say on that that please if you unless you have low internet please don't purchase on-premise solutions unless you really need to they're often like legacy uh, legacy software and architecture that are probably going to struggle to one integrate into other software and fit the future requirements for our data collection and sharing over the coming years. Secondly, um, important is to look at the reuse of data into the coming years. Most of our practice management softwares are not really any more sophisticated at the moment than just digital pieces of paper. We put all our notes into a free text box and then nothing can be done with the data. Mm. Um, and, you know, even if we send these beautiful forms to our patients to collect data, then they're saved in the practice management software as a PDF that we still need to refer back to. You know, we, yes. we need to be doing better. Um, and this is a big problem, but unfortunately not really much software is doing this. Yes, our practice management software is built for broad appeal across multiple different practice pr practices. Um, and they rely on integrations for us to do this and then personalize our software for our needs in the clinic, which brings me to the third and probably the most important point is um, look for software that has open APIs. APIs create secure links between platforms and allows you to personalize your software. And so some of the biggest things that most listeners would know about are FizzyTrack, 
or the Tyro and Zero integrations. And some of these um, integrations are super efficient and can save a lot of time and cost for your CAs in clinic as well. So if the PMS has open APIs, what that means is that external developers, when they build their programs, they can build it to the soft PMS that you're using. So have a look at the list of integrations available for programs such as Clinico compared to those of Jane and Praxuite that maybe don't have open APIs at the moment. Um, so we're gonna see more and more integrations over the coming years, um, little bits of add-ons that we can do to customize and tailor the clinic, our clinics to what we need and the advice that we offer. Um, on saying that too, look for software. I mean, some of the international software is really great and is leading the market. But what we need to consider as well as looking at software is that we are a really small market in Australia. So if the software is based in North America or another market that's got a really large you know, market base, um, then the requirements from, that come from the Australian government aren't as important to those, to those mm. software providers as yeah. what it would be if you had an Australian software. Yeah, so um, Good point. Yeah. Um, just something else to look at. And I know that, you know, some of these guys, when I've spoken to them, like, you know, what, what is, what is the Australian healthcare requirements at the moment? You know, it's a, no plans to build anything at the moment, but yeah, with open APIs, we've got Clinico, Core Plus, Nucle and Medi Records. So there's quite a few and there's a couple more building open APIs. So I think I understand what an open API is because I, I know PhysiTrack, which is the exercise program I use, is built into my uh, software program. So it works very well and integrates very well with patients. But what does API actually stand for? Oh, I'm not sure. It's API as far as that, application <laughs> process interface. Right. That's uh, there you go. Like a window, I suppose, a window that, you know, opens and allows another program to take a little piece of information such as a name or a date of birth out. Yes, uh, yes, very good, fantastic. Now, one of the things obviously that, um, that the digital world might allow is uh, the use of information such as uh, patient-rated outcome measures and so forth to, as you said earlier in, in, the, in the interview, um, improve outcomes by monitoring what's working and what's not working. Um, and in, you, you used to get a, a scorecard in your original practice to see how things were going. I'm assuming was it based on PROMS or some way, some way of analysing that, that data? Is that is that how it was used in your situation? Yeah, I mean, we looked at things like um, amount of treatments to release, structures treated, modalities used, and things like that initially. Uh, but PROMS are definitely a lot more important and a better way to look at value based care outcomes. And can you, do you see that, I mean, obviously um, most of the PROMS user are already scientifically validated. Is it, is that the way to go? Or is there another way that you can use digital health uh, in terms of just having enough boxes that get ticked, et cetera? Um, how does, how will this look, I guess, going forwards? Mm. Yeah, good question. Uh, PROMS are vitally important. And I mean, one of the other digital health agency priorities is the ability to make sure that across healthcare, we're collecting high quality data with a commonly understood meaning. Um, so there's working groups at the moment looking at baseline data that all healthcare providers should collect um, on top of what we can with PROMs. Um, and it's about creating these standard terminologies such as your ICD coding systems to make sure that we're collecting data across health in the same format so that we can start to reuse that and get the value from what we're collecting. And this is called structured data, I suppose. So rather than just putting data into free text boxes, it's, you know, drop down fields and check boxes. Um, and when we're ca capturing more structured data, we're going to be able to perform a lot more practice-based research on that. 
um, which is important because, I mean, it's a challenge for chiropractors. We know the challenges in chiro for conducting clinical trials and randomized control trials due to, you know, the lack of blinding in our recruitment challenges. Mm. And when we're doing real world research, we can get around some of these challenges by offering, you know, that are offered by these new methods of research when we're doing, when we're collecting real world data. But as you're talking about proms, it's definitely our way to start demonstrating our outcomes in care. There's lots of conversations going on in government at the moment around different funding models in healthcare and how we can introduce value-based care rather than our fee-for-service, which is you know, going to be more unsustainable going forwards. Um, and some of this you know, drive towards value-based care is going to be driven by our third parties. Like recently, the requirement for you know, workers' comp in New South Wales have required the use of PROMs. You know, we have such a diverse range of chiropractors who achieve outcomes in so many different areas of health. So utilizing digitized PROMs and whether they're pain or functional or quality of life measures can really help unite us in demonstrating the value. And I think that's uh, really important. Uh, a lot of people have shied away from this before thinking, oh, well, the chiropractic model doesn't quite fit the medical model but there are so many different types of um, PROMs out there. And particularly if those are, chiropractors are interested in more of a well-being type approach to health, well, well then you can certainly use quality of quality of health um, or quality of well-being type PROMs. And it's it seems to me vitally important that what we're using, uh, if we're really going to demonstrate our success, needs to be something that's the common language expressed and used by other health professions rather than something that's just uh, unique to chiropractic. I think having our uniqueness is wonderful, but but when it comes to this kind of stuff, we really need to be sort of speaking the same language if we're going to make progress in this area. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Anthony. I think the time that we can kind of be cowboys and play out on our own is is coming to an end. You know, those standard terminologies, they're only going to help us improve our patient outcomes uh, as we understand that, you know, longevity of healthcare and the the this you know we understand that hospital systems it costs a lot of money and even there's government measures and a lot of um, grants at the moment to push care out of hospitals and to look at the value that you know allied health and early intervention type care can offer before people move into that phase of you know tertiary care and needing hospitals mm, yeah absolutely all right well mel in the few moments we've got uh left what would you sum up as being some of the the really key points and maybe particularly in terms of a futuristic view of uh of healthcare? well what should chiropractors be thinking about uh for today and tomorrow mm. i think what's important to understand is that technology is not something to be scared of i mean it's not ever going to take away our jobs but it's going to enhance them and it's going to give clinicians who use technology an advantage um, and as I mentioned before, a lot of this push towards digital is going to come from your patients. So if you're not sure what to do, it's talking to your patients and understanding what their needs are and slowly introducing digital that way. Um, you know, our practitioners of the future are going to be technologists and analysts as well as clinicians. You know, by the time the clinician walks into the room and the patient sits down, the practitioner is already going to have some analytics on the screen because they've filled in their paperwork before they've come in. It's, you know, giving them some decision support based on how old they are, what condition they've got, and some of the integrating, you know, that research that's out there to give practitioners clinical decision support tools by the time they walk in the room to really start to personalise recommendations for our patients and create, you know, use data to, to help improve our clinical outcomes, which, you know, I am super excited about. There's so many more apps and technologies coming in that are really, really helpful in maybe extending our scope of practice that little bit more. 
Um, we know that, for example, like it's only about a quarter of consumers are not willing to use apps for mindfulness and mental health. Yeah. So, wow. you know, even these, um, you know, chiropractors, we should really start to feel comfortable in recommending apps that we feel are in line with our scope of practice to our patients because they are expecting this. And there's some yeah. really cool things coming out. Like I don't particularly want to recommend any specific programs, but I know that I get asked all the time um, on what things we should use. And so this way up, for example, is a really good, Australian app that's partnered with the University of New South Wales. They offer mindfulness and well-being and mental health programs. And if the clinician subscribe prescribes these to a patient, they're free for the patient to use. Yeah. They offer structured and self-paced cognitive behavioral therapy where you can track your patient's progress. Um, and what so did you really say that app was called again? This way up, was it? That's this way up. Yeah. Okay. Another one, Sleepio has been in the news a fair bit as well. Sleepio's just been funded by the NHS in the UK because it, it's been shown in trials to um, improve insomnia more than placebo and some medications. Great. And then we're also some chiros in Australia been helping out with some user testing around a chatbot that's designed to give evidence-based advice for whiplash. Um, you know, we're going to see a 33% growth in health app use to manage health conditions over the next couple of years. Uh, I know chiros are already using some of these like Migraine Buddy. So on top of this and all the wearables and tracking devices that patients are currently using, um, there's really going to be a lot of data coming in. Um, you know, the research suggests to us that, you know, 80%, up to 80% of a patient's health outcome can relate to factors outside of clinical care, you know, the social determinants of health and our environment. So if we want to be getting the best clinical outcomes, we need to think about how we can collect and utilize some of this data from, you know, outside of the treatment room and the wearables and tracking devices that our patients are coming to us with. So I think it's, it's super cool and exciting and, you know, there's lots to think about and just so many other ways that we're going to be able to help our patients with access to so much more information. Mel, that's been absolutely fantastic. I think I'm going to have to get you back for another podcast just to do a review of all the great health apps out there. The seem, it seems like you've got a handle on uh, a lot of those. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been uh, fantastic and uh, I think very beneficial for our listeners. Oh, I hope so, everyone. And thanks so much for having me, Anthony. Absolute pleasure. Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence and look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast.